Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to From Scratch. My name is Michael Rollman, and I'm a writer. I've spent the last 20 years in professional kitchens writing about, and with, the world's best chefs. From Scratch is a podcast about cooking. In each episode, we'll talk with one chef and one non-chef about the same theme. The great thing about the cooking life is that you never stop learning. In this show, I want to go to the edges of what I know, and then go beyond, together with you, with all chefs, home cooks, and everyone who cares about food and cooking. On today's episode, we're going to be exploring the theme of wood. We'll talk with a chef who's preparing to open a restaurant which features a wood grill at the heart of the kitchen. She'll explain her philosophy and tips for cooking with wood. Also, she'll show us a great recipe for a simple vegetable dish that you can try in your own wood fire at home. But first, we wanted to think a little bit outside the box and explore wood in its initial state, before it becomes a cooking fuel. We mean trees. We wanted to learn a bit about trees. I recently read two great books about trees, a novel called The Overstory by Richard Powers and The Hidden Life of Trees, a nonfiction book by Peter Volobin. Both ask us to consider the fact that trees communicate with each other, and if we listen, with us. This is from the preface of Hidden Life of Trees. The most astonishing thing about trees is how social they are. The trees in a forest care for each other, 
sometimes even going so far as to nourish the stump of a felled tree for centuries after it was cut down by feeding it sugars and other nutrients and so keeping it alive. Trees need to communicate, and electrical impulses are one of their many means of communication. If a giraffe starts eating an African acacia, the tree releases a chemical into the air that signals that a threat is at hand. As the chemical drifts through the air and reaches other trees, they smell it and are warned of the dangers. Even before the giraffe reaches them, they begin producing toxic chemicals. One reason we can't see this is that trees live on a different time scale than we do. Some trees are many thousands of years old, a hundred times our lifespan. It's just something to think about as we think about wood and cooking with wood, an ever-changing and powerful heat source. But first, we wanted to talk about trees generally with someone who works with them. Ian Wogan is an arborist in Miami. We contacted him because he's a leading expert in all matters having to do with trees. Wogan is the co-founder of True Tree Service, a company that accomplishes many different things. Aside from climbing trees while operating chainsaws, they help out with emergency disaster relief, and they even consult with cities on how to add ecological diversity back into urban centers. And we especially wanted to hear from Ian because of a concept called stacking functions. Stacking functions is a term that comes out of the world of permaculture and essentially means to have individual elements in a system perform more than one function. Great cooks stack functions all the time without using that term, but don't worry, we'll come back to that. For Ian Wogan's work, he sees stacking functions as a necessary way to maintain the pre-existing complexity of an ecosystem, and he's doing it in small creative ways all over. For example, he plants herbs and vegetables on the rooftops of his clients, which reduces their building's energy use and, of course, provides a food supply. Another example, he uses the barks of specific trees as locations to plant infant orchids, which are being reintroduced into the local environment. It stacks the tree's functions of shade and beauty with assisting the growth of another smaller organism. He sees each stacked function as a variable in an incalculable equation that makes up a healthy environment. In a, in a fully functioning ecosystem, the, the interactions are innumerable, are countless. So there's no way that we can save everything that these orchids do. And so therefore, by losing them and by them going extinct, we have no idea what we're missing out on or what what ecosystem function is not going to be present anymore. To demonstrate some functions that have stacked themselves naturally over a long, long time, Wogan took our producer Jonathan to the water via canoe. He wanted to examine a very peculiar looking tree, one of my favorites for its beguiling appearance, the mangrove. I think mangroves are one of my favorite trees. Mangroves take a long time to grow, for sure. I don't know how old this, this stand is, but it's certainly old. We've, we've done some restoration plantings, and they seem to take forever. <laughs> Mangroves grow at the edges of water and have a unique appearance because their root systems begin above the water. Starting at the lower trunk, the roots shoot downward and break into pair after pair of thin arching props, which make their way down into the water and beyond. It looks like the mangroves are walking on hands filled with dozens of fingers. 
all along the, the shore here are the prop roots. So it's these, it's these, it looks like they're almost crawling, but these, these thin prop roots coming off of the trunks of the mangrove trees. And they're in these beautiful sweeping arches that, that just kind of repeat themselves over and over. But what the prop roots do, because they're above the waterline, they can exchange oxygen without being totally under the soil. The main reason that Wogan took to the water to visit the mangrove trees is to show them in contrast with seawalls. Seawalls are flat concrete embankments which extend several feet above the waterline to separate land from sea. They're a modern construction technique built after a waterline has been cleared of mangroves and other plants. But just to give a little context for, for where we're at, um, you know, we have this, this like perfectly square, squared off gray seawall to our left. And all this, this coastline historically would be mangrove. Well, there's a, there's a few different varieties, but the red mangrove grows in saltwater conditions right along the coast. And they have these big aerial prop roots that allow them to breathe with the tidal fluctuations. And those hundreds of finger-like roots which extend above the water are world-class stackers of functions. For starters, as Wogan mentions, they're like snorkels for the tree, allowing it to breathe. Next, because of the huge amount of surface area that the roots have, they pacify the waves that come with storms. Big waves become tiny ripples after they pass through mangrove trees. On the contrary, the cement seawalls, which have replaced the mangroves, have the opposite effect. They work as an echo chamber for waves, reverberating and causing more chaos near the edge of the water and below it. And another major function? The mangrove root systems create safe spaces for fish nurseries. So they, they provide habitat for, for the fisheries, for all, the, for all the, the hatchlings and the baby fish that are being born. The mothers go up into the mangroves, lay their, their eggs in, the, in the, the prop root areas, and then, the, and then the hatchlings have a have a protected, sheltered area to uh, you know to grow and to to get ready for open water. Because right here, where our our bow, our bow is is pointed, is basically the in between of this densely urban design philosophy. And then to the right here, with the mangrove fringe, the natural ecosystem that would would otherwise exist without our influence. And the real question is not what's better, it's how to design for a combination of the two. Wogan thinks we can learn from the mangroves and apply lessons from nature much faster than the speed at which it evolved. Is the fact that we, as, as these cognitive human beings, have the ability to study and understand and, and appreciate and then replicate. So whereas the mangroves took how many hundreds of thousands of years to, to develop the, the form that they did, we now, we, we can understand that form and then use it to, to the benefit of our surrounding environment, our built environment. But what about when something in nature is causing a negative effect? What creative stacking of functions can be done then? So these trees along the coast here were introduced from Australia because they're super salt tolerant and they, the original intent was to help 
prevent erosion. And so they brought these, what are called Australian pines, even though they're not a true conifer. They brought these Australian pines and planted them and they became a, a super invasive species. So invasive, it's a very relative term, um, but basically where we have gone in and disturbed land or populations, a lot of these species will, will take over that have been introduced by us from other parts of the world. And the, the main issue is the fact that they, they prevent the, the succession of native ecosystems that have been here for many generations, thousands of years, and all of the, all of the relationships that exist in those native ecosystems. You might be thinking, what the heck does this have to do with cooking? Well, I'm glad you asked. So one of the things, you know, looking at, looking at that as an invasive that just needs to be cut down and carted off is, is the, the standard model approach. But if you look at that as a resource, there's, there's such an abundance of it and they're, you know, they're looking for solutions to, um, to have it removed. All you do is cut it down and cart it off. Yeah. You, it's, it's just the same, it's the same thing as, as the principle of stacking functions. Of course. If you can, if you can create a revenue stream from that waste product versus sending it to the landfill, then you, then you are maximizing the lifespan and the usability and the, and the, the energy cycle. We're in the front yard of a friend of Ian's named Ted, who built a clay wood-burning oven on his back porch. Ian's preparing the fuel for a pizza party later in the evening. This is Australian pine. So what, one of the things that we were talking about is how to, how to consider what, what might be just an invasive species to some, how to figure out incorporating that resource bank into a use of, of the energy that's gone into the growth of these trees. So splitting this wood and we're gonna burn it in a little wood oven for making some amazing pizza. The freshly cut Australian pine has a deep, rosy, pinkish color when chopped open. It looks kind of like pulled pork when you're starting to pull it apart with two forks. This wood is so spectacular. Beautiful, huh? So this wood basically dulled the saw that I was using to cut it into rounds. I mean, just, just ate the chain up. And this would be considered a bit wet, but once it gets going, it's incredibly hot. So my name is Ted Sanchez. I'm a veterinarian, live in Miami, Florida, and I love to cook at home. So I have a little wood-burning oven here that we're testing out some wood today. And then I built this kind of outdoor pizza oven um, because we entertain a lot, so we have a lot of people over and. Basically, uh, pizza is like the perfect uh, the perfect cooking event to bring people together. So, so you have to have a wood burning oven, and it has to be outside because it can't be inside. So we've made this nice little uh, oven outside. So this is a batch of Australian pine logs that we harvested today 
from a tree that was felled in Hurricane Irma 2017. The, the Australian pine is an incredible high temperature burn that has very little uh, sap, so it doesn't have a lot of sootiness or or smoke that, that comes off of it. For me, I just need it to heat up the oven. So I need something that works fast, that burns nice, and that you know is, is an intense heat. Hardwoods, obviously, if you put a softwood, which we have a lot of, it burns so quick, it just does not, it doesn't heat the oven up. So this is actually a very, very dense woods, and it's doing a very good job at heating the, the oven right now. Yep. Well, we make our own dough. Um, it's actually mimicked after the famous Brooklyn Roberta pizza dough. Um, and we made our own little homemade sauce. Um, we're gonna do a little bit more, since it's a smaller crowd, we're gonna do some more exotic. Uh, sometimes when I cook for big crowds, you can't uh, put the fancy ingredients, but we put out some nice, uh, uh, fancier mushrooms. We got our house special, which is our kale, pepper, and lemon pizza. And then we have a little bit of a fresh arugula to top off. So it'll be a simple menu. I think so far it's working really well. Australian pine is an invasive species, so I, I would love to see it all gone and, and, and not have Australian pine to use. But um, in the meantime, I think it's a great thing to use um, instead of using hardwoods from other places in the country. the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. For our chef guest in this episode, I was lucky to sit down in conversation with Suzanne Cups. She's preparing to open a new restaurant called 232 Bleecker in Manhattan, which will feature a wood-fired grill at the center of its kitchen. We talked about cooking with wood, menu development, and even how home cooks can stack functions in their own kitchens to reduce waste and increase variety with their food. But first, I always want to know how chefs got started. Most have always had an affinity for cooking, or at least an interest in food from an early age. Suzanne showed an astonishing lack of natural acumen in the kitchen. And one of my first memories of cooking was we would make, like, for lunch, like tuna fish salad. Um, And one time I was old enough to use the stove. I'm not sure how old that was. But my sister said, hey, mom and I are going out. Can you go ahead and hard-boil the eggs for the tuna salad? Um, so I did it. And when they got home, um, uh, my mom went, my mom and sister went to make the tuna fish and crack the eggs and they were completely raw. They're like, what, what did you do? Did you, why didn't you hard boil the eggs? And I was like, I did. And they're like, what did you do? I said, I, well, I took the eggs, I put them in a pot of water and I put them in the sink and I ran cold water over them. Because oh, that's what I always saw my mom do at the end. Right. I just didn't realize that you had to <laughs> actually heat. boil first. Suzanne, uh, raised in South Carolina, moved to New York in her early 20s and landed a job in the HR department of the famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel. I didn't really understand what the hospitality business was until I, I went to that hotel. And then I started realizing like, oh, this is really interesting. This is just how it is in the South. You know, you're welcoming, you smile at people, you want to make sure everybody feels comfortable, whatever it is. Um, and so I really got interested in like that idea of hotels um, and hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, and partway through my time there, uh, they needed some help in the steakhouse, the Bull and Bear Steakhouse. And So along with my normal HR job, I started kind of working a couple nights a week in the steakhouse and more of like maitre d' type of work, Mm -hmm. uh, welcoming people. um, But it didn't take long before the kitchen called to her, specifically one at the Institute of Culinary Education in Lower Manhattan a culinary school usually referred to as ICE. I had a, f- a friend who was a co-worker at the Waldorf, and she um, started going to ICE for some recreational classes. And she would bring into the office all these cakes and um, cookies and elaborate desserts that she made. And I was just amazed. I, you know, it was a little fancier than what I was used to eating. And I was amazed. I didn't really know anything about the cooking school um, in general. And... Uh, so she started telling me about it. And then um, once something like that happens, I just, you know, can't stop thinking about it and ended up going to see the school. And once I saw the the kitchens at ICE, and that's when it was on 23rd Street, I was just kind of hooked. After six years of cooking once experience under Chef Anita Lowe happens, at Anissa, just, you know, Suzanne found herself stoking the wood fire at a longtime favorite restaurant of mine, the, the Gramercy Tavern. So I started out in the tavern, Woodburn and Grill. Okay. Uh, 
It was so hard. It's uh, it's very busy for two cooks out there. So if you were the sous chef or if someone had to step in and help you step in between the two cooks, which is not a lot of room, and you're standing directly in front of the fire. So there's a door that kind of separates the fire um, that you have to open to feed it. Uh-huh. And when a lot of times, if you're if you know how to work with fire, you have to have a lot of oxygen. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have to keep that door open. Mm-hmm. So if you're in if you're the sous chef in the middle and it's busy and you're plating and you're in front of that fire, it gets pretty hot. Yeah, you're pretty much medium well yeah. in service. I think. <laughs> sure. Um, what do you like about cooking over wood over flame? I mean, what I love about it is it's alive. You know, it's always changing. You're really engaged in the cooking. What do you like about cooking with wood fire? I think there's a bunch. Uh, One of the is just what you said. I think it it is an engaging experience. It's... um it's number one it's the taste of it you know food over a wood-burning grill is is if it's done right is is super delicious um and then i i love the what it brings to a restaurant i love the openness because you know wood-burning grills they're not down in the basement or in Mm -hmm. in the back they're right out in front of the guests and i like that it's it's a experience that you can have along with the the guests that come into the restaurant so i think that that um that idea of cooking and being next to the people you're cooking for mm-hmm. is a really special thing. I think the fun part about grilling, it is a little trial and error. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be able to say, okay, today I'm going to soak the chips and I'm going to see how the steak comes mm-hmm. out. And tomorrow I'm going to do it without and kind of see how it acts. People cooking at home, what, what should they what should they keep in mind when they're choosing what to uh, put over live flames versus the uniform heat of a, a, a gas or electric range? One thing I think you want to uh, think about is the cut of what you're buying. So, mm-hmm. for example, you may want to, if you if you like fish and you're cooking in a pan over gas burners, something like trout is great. Um, it's thin. It's quick to cook. It, you can get like a crispy skin on it really easily. Now, if you have a home grill, your grill, um, f- number one, uh, your fish might stick a little bit more to the grill. So thinking about um, how do you treat it? Do you, are you doing skin on or are you taking that skin off? Maybe it might be an easier way. Um, picking a, a thicker fish, like I really love um, Arctic char, um, which for anybody who hasn't had it is a lot like a salmon. Um, I, I like it because I feel like it doesn't dry out the same as salmon. Um, but salmon, Arctic char, um, kind of a thicker, like a striped bass uh, could work really well on a grill. So also um, being able to create some flavor, something that's really thin, if you put it on the grill um, and you keep it on for too long, it's really thin, it's going to overcook. So I think when you have a little bit thicker piece of meat or fish, it's it's a little easier to get the correct temperature that you want um, and getting some flavor into mm-hmm. it. That's that's really interesting. Talk about the variations and the differences in the, the levels. Yeah, I think the the it's it's important. I think you want to create um, your hot spot. So it, again, if you're you're grilling a chicken, you you want that brownness, you want that crispy skin. Um, but if you're doing uh, head of cauliflower, I don't know that I want that coming in flames and soot all over it. I think you want you want to enhance the the flavor of the vegetable without masking it, especially fish too. I think I love grilled grilled fish. Um, but if the fish just tastes like grill, the fish is delicate. You, you have to be able to have, yeah, you know, building, whether it's different levels or different spots on the grill mm-hmm. for, for items. Well, also you have to think of uh, cooking time. Chicken and cauliflower take 
a long time. Fish takes a short amount of time. Right. So so you have to manage your, you know, indirect heat and direct heat. Do you use indirect heat in the? Uh, oh yeah, lots. Yeah. yeah, I think indirect heat is one of the most interesting, and uh, even things like. Um, like even more direct, such as cooking in the embers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited about doing that. And a lot of vegetable dishes that either get cooked right before service in the embers or something that gets finished in the embers is really interesting to me. That that heat is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the, in the bottom of the fire uh, where you're collecting all the ash, um, it's just a really... It's not quite the same heat as above it, above the grill. So cooking in the embers, um, all the ash that's produced by the fire gives it a really mellow, nice heat. You have to you have to protect the food. So a lot of times um, I'll wrap something in foil or double foil. Um, but another way is if you have like a heavy cast iron pot, that's great to kind of just put down there. Um, it doesn't burn in the same way if as if you have it up top. So a lot of times you can keep something in there for two hours without it getting scorched. Mm-hmm. Because you're not cooking with flame, you're just cooking with the heat of the embers. Right. An- another one of my favorite things to do is like turnips and kohlrabi mm-hmm. um, to do those in the embers of the grill because they get sweet and they get, you know, just really, they, so you, they take on a different them, taste. Will you put them in the ash? I, I will, but I, I like to wrap them. So you like, like for something like kohlrabi, um, you can do it many different ways, but I actually like to peel it toss it with a little olive oil and salt, wrap it in foil. So it's just kind of creating a little pouch. So it's halfway steams too. Right. So can you taste this? Can you taste the fire? Oh, yeah. And it, it's it's about the fire, but it's also about um, like converting them in their, their sugars too mm-hmm. and the sweetness that comes out of them when you cook it like that. It's much different than if you're doing it in a, in a regular oven or mm-hmm. blanching it or, you know. Would you, do you ever have a need to par cook something before you grill it? Definitely. I think um, that's part of the key of why restaurant food tastes so good and, and people try to replicate at home sometimes miss that step. Like Just to be clear, par cooking means cooking something partway in advance. And when it comes time to serve, cooking it the rest of the way, often with a different technique, like boiling and shocking something before grilling it. Like for cauliflower, I, I steam it first. Oh, really? Almost always. Until um, it's completely done? No, uh, like halfway done. Halfway. Yeah. Um, I think when you do that, then you get the inside cooked perfectly. And then what you're doing um, to order right when the guest guest wants it is is charring it. Flavoring so, it. yeah, it's the flavor. Yeah. So I think um, that's a big technique that restaurants use is mm-hmm. if you're cooking from, from raw vegetables, um, it depends how you cut it. If you cut it thin, no problem. Right. Um, but to get the timing right and to get the taste right, it's really halfway cooked. Um, one thing I love is uh, that I'll definitely do is grilled carrots. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, for me, carrots, um, I love roasting them first. Mm-hmm. So that act of roasting them changes the the texture and the taste. Mm-hmm. And then putting them on the grill, rolling them on the grill at the end is mm-hmm. what makes them really special. Um, let's talk about the wood itself. Uh, does it matter? And what kind of wood do you use? What do you prefer? What do you, what's best? What's acceptable? I think wood, the type of wood does matter. Um, however, I would say anybody grilling on true root wood, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I think for a restaurant, it does. Um, at home, I would be excited to kind of use whatever, whatever's around. Um, but uh, I mean, for- when I, when I cooked, when I was telling you, I, these were just- 
Logs like you get for your fireplace. Yeah. It was that kind of wood, just hard, whatever hardwood it was. And I, I think that's fine. Um, I think it's, for me, it's a little bit more how you use the fire than it is what type mm-hmm. of wood. Um, but having said that, I'm, I'm really, I'm actually researching in the middle of deciding what um, what wood I want to use for 232. I've used white oak before at mm-hmm. Gramercy, um, and that's a great wood. I think it's, um, it creates flavor but not overpowering flavor so um but i've been i've been kind of picking everybody's brain and talking to um chefs all over to see what what kind of wood that they use and what are you learning um i'm i'm learning more people are going with things that are like apple wood or um peach wood fruit wood yeah fruits uh-huh. yeah i think again the idea that you want something that helps to flavor your food but not overpower it mm-hmm. is is really the key. One way that great chefs like Suzanne Cups are stacking functions around their wood-fired grills is by looking past the most traditional ingredients for grilling. A lot of times people associate grill with with big meats like steak, pork, things sure. like that, sausages. And that, yeah, great, we're going to be doing that too. But what I love is is to be able to, um, to showcase vegetables, seasonal mm-hmm. and local vegetables, um, over a wood-burning grill. Um, again, that's not a new concept by any means, but I think um, it's not done as much as as such as steaks or fish on a grill. Like what kind of vegetable? Everything. So uh, will you do a whole head of cauliflower or? Um, maybe not a whole head, but um, I'm working on like a quarter head of cauliflower. Um, this There's this vegetable that Norwich Meadows um uh, started growing, I think last year might have been his first year, uh, called Georgia Banana Roasting Squash. And it's this giant Ooh, squash. Really? It's uh, maybe three feet long, oh um, really heavy. Uh, and when the farmer, uh, Zaid, first brought it to me, I was like, this tastes good. <laughs> I don't know about this one. You know, you always see those like decorative gourds that right. just, you know, are, yeah. um, and it is super delicious. So I'm, I'm excited about, um, you know, all the nuance, all the diversity of, of vegetables being cooked over that grill. Mm-hmm. I think it, um, my point is to make vegetables taste delicious, not to force them on people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we're going to make some really tasty vegetables over that grill. Part of what I've been doing for the past uh, few years is really leaning into what are the right cooking techniques for vegetables and, and how do I have less manipulation because these farmers that we work with grow delicious organic vegetables. So I don't want to puree and chop all of them. I want them to look like what the vegetable is. Suzanne's expertise with wood-fired grilling will be center stage at a brand new restaurant in Greenwich Village. So the restaurant is called 232 Bleaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, very easy to find since it's also, also the address. So the restaurant will be neighborhood uh, casual. focused, casual. Um, it'll be again open kitchen uh, with the wood burning grill. Uh, we'll do some homey pastas as well, and it'll really be. It, it'll feel like New York. It'll feel like the seasons. Again, I'm super excited about having that wood and fire in the mm-hmm. wintertime. I think, you know, for as, I guess I'm a New Yorker now, I've been here 17 years, which is crazy. Um, but in the winter, like, where do you want to go? If you're if you're getting out of your warm apartment, you want to go somewhere that feels cozy, that feels warm, Absolutely. and that fire really yeah. will help. Um, but it's it's going to be a fun space. It's going to be a place that you can um, 
you can come and you can meet a friend that you haven't seen in a while, or it'll be a place that you can come once a week. And that's the type of food that I want to cook is something that is feels interesting and feels new and you're always discovering, you know, slightly different flavors, but it's not something that is unrecognizable. When you read the menu, you'll say, oh, this sounds good. I like this. I know this. Or maybe this, I haven't had it this way, you know. So hopefully it's a a place that um, does food that feels a little bit straightforward, um, but maybe a little bit different than maybe you might cook it at home. When I explained to Suzanne the concept of stacking functions, she agreed that this is something that great chefs have always had to do. She offered some of her favorite ways to multiply the effectiveness of the resources that you put into your home cooking. The best way to cook at home is to think not just in terms of one meal, but think for like three meals. Mm -hmm. And I think the less waste that way, because a lot of times you cook one dish and, you know, you get tired of eating it after the second or third day or maybe the first day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so to be able to, whether it's chicken and, you know, cutting out your bones first and using those in the stock or whether it's grilling that chicken breast one day and then everything that you don't um, eat, you get chop up and put in a pasta the next day. I think those are those are definitely um, a lot of what you want to think about when you go to the grocery store. And for those that plan ahead, one great tool at your disposal is a freezer. I am a big advocate for using the freezer. I think people... Um, People feel like, oh, when it goes in the freezer, it gets frostbitten and it goes to die. But um, but the reality is when you make something and you freeze it that first day that you make it, it's delicious. You take it out sometimes three weeks, a month later. Um, it's it's great, whether it's a, a, a soup or a stock or, um, mm-hmm. or even just uh, cooked chicken breast. A lot of times um, that's the best way. Now, if you leave it in your fridge for three days and then you decide to freeze it, it's not going to. Right. Tastes the same. Well, there is a New Yorker cartoon I saw recently. It's two suburban middle-aged women in a kitchen and one saying to the other, should I throw this out now or should I put it in the freezer first? <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. That's true. What's your recommendation for people not abandoning their food to the freezer? I think you have to, again, you have to have it in mind when you first buy that food, when you first bring it into your kitchen. If, you, if it's an afterthought, it's not going to get eaten. It's going to it's going to turn in your fridge or it's going to be, be you know be an afterthought and put in your right. freezer and again like you're just going to leave it. So I think um you know the idea of right now it's grape season in New York. There's like delicious Concord grapes, mm. Mars grapes, mm. all all different kinds. And I want to use those, but the restaurant I'm opening isn't opening in the next 3 <laughs> weeks. So um what I'm thinking of is is creating like a roasted grape sauce and Ooh. uh roasting them with thyme and and shallots and and maybe a little uh rosemary and and making a delicious sauce putting it in the right size containers. I think that's part of it mm-hmm. is if you put it in a giant container that, you know, you're like, oh, I don't really need a whole quart of this. I'm not going to pull this out now. But if you if you freeze things in like cup container sizes, mm-hmm. then it's very easy to pull out, um, you know, at Thanksgiving when you're like, I'm tired of cranberry sauce. Oh, but I have this really delicious Concord grape sauce that mm-hmm. I made a month ago. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just um, you have to be thoughtful. And what self-respecting cook doesn't love pickling vegetables? 
putting food up, as we used to say, preserving food, being the keepers of the food. In my cooking, I use so many um, different types of pickles. And it's not your standard dill pickle like everybody thinks. It's um, it's really like right now is the kind of the end of pepper season mm -hmm. or sweet peppers. Um, but they're so great. And so just creating a very, very simple vinegar, water, maybe a little sugar or honey-based pickle um, – it's something as long as it's submerged, you can keep in your refrigerator for a year. Right. Um, so thinking about that, and it really, again, adds to your cooking. I love uh, pickled peppers and, and winter squash, mm -hmm. um, but the pickled peppers aren't around when the squash is out. So being able to pull that out and have a little larder for yourself really, you know, makes some delicious meals for the winter. My takeaway from hearing both Ian Wogan and Suzanne Cups is this. Systems are complex and need all the support and creativity they can get. Whether it's a major ecological center or your own home kitchen, both can benefit from the concept of stacking functions. And we don't expect you to know how to wake up tomorrow and plant orchids on the barks of 40-foot trees or reinstall mangroves on coastlines in your area. But thinking about stacking functions can help you today with your own kitchen. You can think ahead about methods that multiply the effectiveness of your resources. You can brainstorm new practices that reduce your own waste, whether from food or other cooking materials. You can even start caring for a cast iron pan that could stay in your family for a century, like a great tree. When we come back, we're making grilled jerked carrots with Chef Suzanne Cups. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. How would you recommend people at home do this? They're going to hear this. They're going to say, "I want to, that sounds good. I want to grill carrots. I think it's so easy to do at home. I'm just finishing up at Entitled now. This, this next week's my last week. Um, yeah, and we're doing a jerk carrot. Um, so we're making kind of like a jerk marinade. And so we, we pre-roast the carrots before service. And then during dinner, um, when someone orders, we, we brush them with a little of the jerk sauce, throw them on the grill. So it gets a little bit of like how you would imagine jerk chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a little bit more when they come off. Super delicious. Nice. Yeah. Love that idea. So we've come to Untitled, where she is executive chef. This is her very last day before she heads over to her new venture on Bleecker Street. And we're going to talk to her about and watch her cook jerked carrots. So um, the inspiration is definitely, um, I really love to cook uh, flavors from all over the world. So even though we try to highlight um, local seasonal ingredients and especially vegetables in this recipe um, I want to I don't want it to all just be from New York the, the flavors of the US and, and not just the Northeast so um, loved kind of making a play on this on this sauce very traditional in that it's got ginger and jalapeno and garlic and allspice and nutmeg and clove all those uh, kind of traditional seasonings um, but we're, we're adding um, our own twist on it with seasonal peppers also um, in, in the type of food I cook, I, I don't love anything that's nuclear, uh-huh. uh, and so I don't want anything that's, that's overwhelming in, in flavor. So I love the, the jerk flavor without, without all the, the spice. Heat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we make the marinade, and then we roast the carrots, and then we put it all together. So it doesn't have that um, same taste of, you know, the chicken being cooked over a grill with the jerk for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'll still, uh, you'll, you'll still find some really fun uh, flavors that you know in jerk. Beautiful. Let's, yeah. let's do it. So all I do is uh, take the carrots, uh, lightly scrub them. I love the the skin is good flavor. The color is beautiful. There's no reason really to peel it. So we scrub them, uh, toss them in olive oil and salt, and bake them in an oven. If you're doing it at home, 400, 450, uh, until they're they're tender. And that's that's the other key. You want to stick a knife in them. Make sure it's cooked, not mushy, but but the whole way through. So that could in your home oven, depending on the size of the carrot, it could take 30 minutes. It could most likely take more more like 45 minutes. They look thoroughly cooked. They look, the, the carrots are beautifully caramelized. And then really all it is is throwing them on the grill. I like to do it dry first um, and then start adding that, that kind of lacquer of the jerk sauce. So you're doing it dry meaning you put it on before you put sauce it, on. it. Yeah, put it on the sauce. It. Just get it on, start getting some char on it. I don't even put any, I've already roasted them with olive oil, so I don't need any olive oil or salt to start. Um, I just want that that. Uh, grill that flavor of the grill, and then starting to get that that um, jerk uh, sauce kind of uh, worked in there. You want to cook that jerk sauce too? 
Yeah, so the, our our um, our jerk sauce, we, we do cook it beforehand and before okay. we blend it, so that uh, all the all the ginger and garlic and spices are already roasted out. So we pre-do it. Of course, we're in a restaurant, so we're doing things to order. Um, if you were at home, yeah, you could totally cook it. The only thing is you don't want to overcook your carrots. They're already fully cooked, so really you're warming them in the jerk sauce. Okay. Beautiful. Good yeah, just describe what you're doing. So I'm going to get a uh, kind of medium to high heat. Be again, the, the idea that the carrots are already cooked. Um, and I just want that flavor and some char on them. So I'm putting them all on the grill first. And I'm going to take a paintbrush. And my jerk sauce is um, it has a little body to it. It's not too thin. And it, it's going to stick right on that carrot. And I'm just going to lightly brush them. Again, it depends, uh, it depends your flavor profile. If you like it spicy, put some habaneros in. We, we use uh, something a little less spicy, uh, like Numex peppers or, um, or like habanada, which is a, a local type of pepper that is, has the same floral uh, flavors as habanero, but uh, without the spice, which is awesome for me. Um, so I'm gonna roll the carrots as they're cooking. So the, the top side I had uh, seasoned with the jerk, now that's gonna be on the bottom against the grill and I'm just gonna roll them over and uh, continue seasoning. It depends how hot your grill is. Um, these should be done, and, and what size your carrots are, these should be done in five minutes or less. You could do um, this with any, you could do this with any, any vegetable. You could oh, do any vegetable. With eggplant or... Eggplant is great. I love, um, with eggplant, I love doing a miso honey. So miso honey, a little rice bun vinegar or lemon or something to brighten it up. That, that's a perfect analogy. Um, and it's same thing, you brush it because you want to create that flavor, flavor and like layers. You don't want to just put it on the top like you're saucing a dish. Um, you want it to kind of cook into. And uh, vegetables, like, you know, they got a lot of water content on them. They, they'll absorb the flavor if you, if you um, do it layer by layer, layer and you season it as you go. So I'm gonna turn over those carrots one more time. And uh, you can see they're already starting to get that nice char. Again, I don't want to, I'm, you could say they're, they're getting blackened a little bit, but I'm not going for burnt carrots. I really just want some of that grill and to, to create that flavor of the jerk. And you, and you can still see the carrots through it. It's not a thick sauce. Um, it's more for flavor. The other key to this is whenever you're cooking vegetables like this, when they're hot is when you want to finish your seasoning. So, um, when they're still warm, I'm gonna brush them with one more time with the jerk. I, I had originally salted them when I cooked them the first time, but they need a little finishing salt. I just use kosher salt, but you could use, you know, whatever your favorite malt in or whatever. Um, and then my key always, a little lemon juice, lemon, <laughs> lime, something like always. that, you whatever bet. you have at home. It just needs acid, it gets heavy if you don't add that. And then when I'm putting them on a plate, um, I made another sauce. So the idea where when you have jerk, sometimes it's a little spicy, it's a little, it has a depth of flavor. I love to balance it with something that's fresh. So we made a cucumber mint sauce, super easy. You can put whole cucumbers in a blender um, with uh, some blanched, so cook, cook that mint just up for a second. And then uh, a little tofu. So the tofu adds some, really? uh, you can't taste it. It doesn't make it taste Asian or anything so like that. it's a textural thing. Some body. It's, it's not watery, not too thin. And I put a little olive oil as well, just for mouthfeel. That's gorgeous so it makes, green, bright yeah, green. Yeah, it makes a nice, um, fresh, bright sauce. And then again, like the idea that carrots are delicious, but I'm in a restaurant. I wanna, I wanna make it really interesting for the guests. 
So I've got those marinated cucumbers. We're using Persians, but you can use um, you know any kind of more fresh, maybe not a pickled, fully pickled cucumber. Uh, again, it's all about how your dish looks when, when it gets to the table. You want it to be pleasing to the eye. So we've got these multicolored carrot shaves. Um, and then uh, to finish it, one of my favorite things is um, candied ginger. So we make it in-house. We just take ginger, we slice it and cut it really thin in a julienne. We cook it down in a little simple syrup and then we fry it. And then that, I think that adds to what the flavors of jerk normally are. Well, it's a gorgeous plate. We've got this beautiful bright green sauce beneath, um, cucumber mint sauce, and then we've got the, the main item, the carrots, um, that are beautifully sauced. And we've got these big curls of fresh carrots. We've got some lightly, lightly dressed cucumbers and some beautiful candied ginger for more flavor and crunch. Looks like a beautiful vegetable dinner. <laughs> great this is very versatile you can do eggplant you can also do a fish like this if you if you um, we're using blackfish right now striped bass whatever you want to grill you can still you can brush that jerk sauce right on it um, and you can do carrots and fish you know it doesn't have to be just a vegetable dish uh, I, I think it works um, works great in that way too beautiful chef thank you so much really appreciate it thanks for stopping in yeah. <laughs> Special thanks to our guests, Chef Suzanne Cups and Arborist Ian Wogan. You can find links for more information about their work on our show notes. From Scratch is produced by Jonathan Dressler. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Our supervising producer is Gabrielle Collins. All of the music on From Scratch is by Ryan Scott off his album, A Freak Grows in Brooklyn. Also, I've got a new book out called From Scratch, about 10 staple meals and all they can teach you about cooking. We'll have a link in the show notes or go to Amazon or any independent bookseller. From Scratch is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.